Curtin Cade Mornings, not just on the radio. It's a podcast, too. Did you know that 26 of the 27 books of the New Testament talk about false teachers or false prophets in some capacity? Yeah, we have been warned, and yet we keep falling for it. Yeah, we do. And discernment in an age of deception, well, it's crucial for the follower of Jesus. There's nothing new under the sun. There have always been false teachers from the Mm -hmm. very beginning in the church. But it almost seems like uh, due to, obviously, technology, these types of things, it's on steroids these days. What are some traits of false teachers? Dr. Jonathan Gibson from Westminster Theological Seminary gave us, uh, well, a lot of help when it comes to thinking about this. And uh, I think that uh, hopefully by the end of the conversation, we're going to be more discerning Christians. Amen. Jonathan, good morning. Welcome to the conversation. We're glad to have you. Thanks for having me, Kurt and Kit. All right. Thank so you. let's go ahead and talk about some of these uh, traits of false teachers. Well, first of all, it's just kind of a flyover here. Uh, false teaching has always been around. There's nothing new under the sun. What would you say our current moment regarding this is like here in the U.S.? Well, I think um, the point that Peter makes at the beginning of chapter 2 is that there were false teachers in the Old Testament. Uh, There were false teachers in his day. And his point is, until Christ returns, there are going to be false teachers in our midst. And so, uh, for the church in America, or Indonesia, or Tanzania, uh, wherever it is that the Lord calls us to minister, we need to be on our guard that there are going to be false teachers. And Peter even says, among you, uh, from among you. And so we need to be on our guard that even in our own midst, people can arise with false teaching. Uh, In the States, you know, they take various forms. There are those who outrightly deny the truthfulness of the gospel. You think of some of the things that's going on in the Anglican communion at the moment regarding uh, same-sex relationships and marriage. Uh, And then also in the charismatic movement, you have the health, wealth, and prosperity teachers, which are promising people things that are not true or promising them things that are promising them early before they have to wait for them in heaven. You know, one of the the obvious reasons why, or one of the remedies for this to help us develop discernment and reasons why we need to be in the Word of God— is so that we know the truth so we can spot a lie. And the most effective lie is one that is wrapped in a lot of truth, like mm-hmm. it's 99.9% true, but there's that tiny little bit that turns it into to a false teaching, turns it into heresy. Man, it, it's like a razor's edge, isn't it? Yes, it reminds me of the serpent in the garden uh, when he was conversing with the woman Eve, Uh, He didn't come out with something immediately that was directly contradictory to what God had said. He took a kernel of truth uh, of what God had said to Adam and he twisted it. And that's what false teachers do. There's always a kernel of truth in the false teaching. Uh, or a, that then becomes a half-truth or a twisted truth. But there's something in there that they are speaking about. 
um, that you could identify in the gospel. But as I say, they've twisted it or used it for their own purposes of deceiving. Yeah. Nothing new under the sun there again. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Jonathan Gibson from Westminster Theological Seminary is uh, kind of spearheading our conversation here this morning. He's the author of Second Peter, Living with the End in Mind, Isaiah, uh, Good News for the Wayward and the Wandering, Be Thou My Vision, a liturgy for daily worship, etc. He's also got another book out, The Moon is Always Round. Let's go ahead and talk about, uh, let's see, some of these traits. The first one you have here, Jonathan, is underhanded agendas. Well, what do you mean by that? I, I guess it's kind of self-evident, isn't it? Yeah, that really captures the idea of the false teaching. Um, and uh, what they false teachers do is they come in with deceptive words. They're trying to deceive uh, and bring their own agenda into the conversation or into the church. Uh, for Peter in his day, it was an Epicurean philosophy in Greco-Roman culture that they were introducing into the church, and that was that there was no God providentially controlling the world Therefore, there was no judgment to come, and therefore you could live as you please. And so it was really a hedonistic heresy. It was a heresy saying, eat, drink, uh, sleep around, do what you want, because tomorrow you die, and there is no coming judgment, because there is no God who is controlling the world. Um, and so that was the underhanded agenda that they were trying to promote was a sensual living because if you live with the end in mind as everybody does whatever your religion or philosophy we all live with the end in mind uh, but if the end entails no judgment then you can live as you please now and so that was the agenda they were trying to deceitfully hmm. sneak into the church there in the in the first century that's very interesting okay here's another trait of false teachers fake belief yeah uh, they signed Christian, a uh, bit like we were saying earlier, there's always a kernel of truth. There's an element of truth in their teaching, but they twist it to their own agenda. But the element of truth is there, and so they sound Christian on the outside. Peter describes them as denying the master who bought them. Uh, he's saying they will look Christian. Uh, Jesus said that false teachers are wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm. And so at first, <clears throat> even by their perhaps smooth, kind demeanor, they might come across very Christian in their ethic initially, but also by their teaching, they, they will sound like they uh, believe the Bible, uh, like they believe in Jesus, but once you listen to them for a time, you'll see that actually there's deception in there. It's a bit like the serpent. He reuses God's words to Adam in his deception to Eve. And he uses God's words in his deception to the Lord Jesus when he's being tempted in the wilderness. Satan is quoting scripture to him. And so this is a trait of false teachers. They come in sounding Christian, sounding biblical, uh, but of course it's a fake teaching, it's a fake belief that they have. You know, I don't know the chapter and verse uh, on this, but where it says that no one can uh, claim that Jesus is the Son of God if he doesn't have the Spirit of God, um, I don't know exactly, again, chapter and verse on that, but 
That seems to uh, kind of contradict the whole idea that somebody could come in and say it. But I guess what it means is, and you correct me if I'm wrong, they can say it, but they may not mean it. That's that's the whole key. Yeah, and it's uh, I think in First John is that verse, and what what it's really saying is there are those who can say it, but they don't have the spirit inside them, and uh, uh, but over time you'll see that they don't have the spirit inside them by assessing their teaching over a period of time, you'll realize that there's a kernel of truth in it, but they've taken it and twisted it. So they can talk about Jesus being the Son of God, but maybe they will deny his bodily resurrection, for example. Uh, I was once at a university lecture, an evangelistic event put on by a, a Christian organization in Cambridge University, where I studied in England, and uh, this ordained Anglican minister who believed that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, at one moment, as he was defending the authenticity of Christianity, said, and of course, when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, of course, we don't mean that he rose bodily. Wow. We just mean that in mm. spirit he rose and went to the Father's right hand. So, you know, he believed Jesus was the Son of God. He believed in spirit. After he died, he went to be with the Father. But he was denying the bodily resurrection. And uh, there's, there's an example of believing some of the gospel, but twisting other parts to his own agenda. Thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode of the Curtain Cape Mornings podcast. We always welcome a review with your thoughts and comments, and please feel free to subscribe and follow us as well. You pointed out as well, and I want to just highlight this again, that these folks can use terms that sound like they are legitimately Christian, like, uh, you know, well, we believe in Jesus, we believe he died for our sins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the terms are the same, however, the meanings behind them are very different. That's true of some of the cults, isn't it? Yes, exactly. You'll you'll hear some of the cults say that Jesus was son of God, but then when you get behind that, you see that, for example, the Jehovah Witnesses believe he was a created son of God, that he came into existence at one point because he was begotten from the Father. He had to come into existence, but they'll talk about Jesus being the Son of God or a Son of God. So it sounds Christian, but when you get beneath the surface. And I think the example for us in the New Testament are the Bereans. They listen to the apostles yes. teach, but they go away and search the scriptures for themselves. And Luke, as he records the early history of the church, really speaks very positively about the Bereans. And he's encouraging us all to be Berean in our handling of teaching that we receive from our pastors, from our ministers, from uh, people who teach on the radio. We need to take what they say and, and apply it uh, to the scriptures and test what the teaching is against the scriptures and see if it, if it levels up to the standard of what true teaching is. You mentioned disgrace on the church. They bring disgrace on the church. Um, also, greedy exploitation. Here we go again. Uh, the prosperity gospel and sow a seed, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, even Paul talked about we are not like others who are uh, ministering, so to speak. I put that in air quotes, uh, peddling the gospel basically for money. So it goes way, way back to even the Apostle Paul. Yes, it's like that old saying, follow the money. Um, 
where where the money is is often where there is corruption the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil of course it's not wrong to pay a speaker for speaking at a conference or to pay the minister Paul says don't muzzle the ox uh, for treading out the grain a, a labor is worthy of his wages but what you find with these false teachers is they they all ultimately are doing it for the money uh, they have little interest in the people they are using them for their own ends and for their own gain and uh, <clears throat> often they will speak about uh, prosperity gospel teachers in particular will be asking people for money with the false promise that if they give God will bless them tenfold in reply but really what they mean is if you give I'll be blessed tenfold because you're you're giving me your money but Peter mentions that in this uh, epistle. He talks about them doing it for their own gain, uh, gain for wrongdoing, like uh, Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing. Uh, so their hearts are trained in greed, actually trained to be greedy. And uh, that's another good indicator of a false teacher, is somebody who's in it for the money. Um, and as you say, the Apostle Paul was a great example of somebody who said, we, we never asked for your money. We commended ourselves to each person's conscience. Yeah. Second Peter, living with the end in mind, is uh, where we're getting a lot of these thoughts from uh, about the false teachers. It's a book that uh, Jonathan has written. It's pretty good stuff. We have some texted questions that are yeah. coming in. Someone texted, I assume you would consider Bethel Church to be filled with false teaching. What is your opinion on their music being played on the radio? Bill Johnson is a senior pastor there. It's out of Redding, California. They have Bethel Music. Uh, They had been talking about things such as uh, uh, grave soaking and things like that, which is, you know, receiving the way I understand it. I haven't read a lot about it, to be honest with you. But uh, the, uh, they can assume the mantle or the power or the blessing of, of other Christians just, uh, you know, by praying over that. Um, you know, I'm, I, again, I'm not well-versed, no pun intended, on some of the ins and outs and, and all of this. So, um, Well, it, just the little you've told me there definitely sounds dodgy and not, not helpful, and it sounds like very much a heavy shepherding movement. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's talk about heavy shepherding. What do you mean by that? Well, often false teachers, they will become very controlling, uh, very controlling of people's lives, micromanage them. Like the prosperity gospel teachers, they they start to tell you exactly how much money you need to give um, and uh, how regularly you need to be giving. And again, it's just to line their pockets, but it's connected to a general system of uh, heavy shepherding. Uh, I remember a cult in Belfast that a friend got caught up in and they they wanted to know everything about the person's financial uh, history, their bank account details, how much money they had in the bank to ensure that they were giving exactly the 10% that they ought to be giving uh, each week. And so it's that kind of micromanagement and heavy shepherding and the, the idea of controlling somebody like you were mentioning the blessing that they're the ones who produce or give the blessing, and therefore you need to stay connected to the teacher if you want to stay in the blessing. Uh, it's things like that that are really quite pernicious 
and uh, and dangerous in the church. Yeah. Of course, we need to submit to our elders. I'm a teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church, and when I was a pastor in Cambridge, you know, we we wanted our people to submit to the authority of the church session and elders, but uh, not not in an overhanded way. You know, Peter in his first epistle says to elders, "Do not lord it over the sheep." And so it's a temptation of those in leadership to lord it over those who are under their care. And uh, I think, again, that's another trait of a false teacher, somebody who really does lord it over their people. Maybe an example of this is uh, always do what your pastor tells you to do as long as it doesn't violate Scripture. Yes, that's that's a nice principle. Yeah, my mm-hmm. son, Benjamin, who's 11, just became a communicant member in our church. He professed his faith and uh, came to the Lord's table on Sunday just past. And that was one of the questions. Um, do you Are you willing to submit to the leadership of this church so long as what they ask you to do is in accord with Scripture? And he said, yes, I, I do. But again, it was that qualification so long as it is in accord with what Scripture teaches. But that could be abused. A like, okay, slope there. Yeah, don't, yeah, you don't need to marry that person. They say they're a believer. You just see where this could go. You know, you don't need to do this as a career. You need to do that. That could be kind of, I don't know, it could be a little much sometimes, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. And that and that's where, again, according to Scripture in the sense that uh, Scripture doesn't say who you should marry except that they need to be a Christian. And uh, if the pastor is then say, going beyond that and saying, no, you need to marry this particular person, then that's, that's an abuse of leadership. But a minister can say, you should marry a Christian, which is what Paul says, that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Let's go back to the texts. Yes. What are some good ministries to donate to that are directly and boldly countering the current false teachings? Uh, well, your own radio station and the ministry of uh, Moody Bible Institute is uh, a, an organization that's been holding the line and uh, seeking to promote the truth. And um, since you've asked, Westminster Theological Seminary, where I teach, it's been a seminary that grew out of false teaching. It uh, was Gresham Machen back in 1929 who took a stand against liberal Christianity in the mainline Presbyterian denomination. And by God's grace, for uh, 95 years now, we've been holding the line seeking to promote the truth of the gospel and defend the whole counsel of God as it's contained in the Christian scriptures. So I would encourage people to think seriously about giving to a sound, biblical, reformed seminary because seminaries are um, the the seedbed of training the next generation of pastors and ministers. And if we want to have sound pastors and sound ministers, we need to get behind sound seminaries and uh, so find a seminary that teaches the bible faithfully believes in the inerrancy infallibility uh, of scripture and believes the true gospel and uh, promotes the lord jesus christ and uh, give your money to something like that and it will have an impact for generations to come because you're funding students who will be pastors who will train others uh, to hand on the the gospel as Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, uh, you know, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Yes, I love that. 
And we want to thank you, Jonathan, for helping us with our discernment here this morning. This is a, like I said, it's a really important conversation to have. Thank you so much for the work that you do, and thank you for your time today. Kurt and Kate, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Curtin Kate Mornings Podcast. Please take a minute to follow, subscribe, and review us. And no matter where in the world you are, you can listen to us live from 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays on the Moody Radio app.